If you have a copy of God's word, please take it and turn with me to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, we're gonna be looking at verses 26 and 27 and 28 today. As you're turning there, let me say how thankful I am to be with you. Thank you, Dr. Dockery, for your gracious invitation. Coming back to Southwestern is always a privilege and a joy because this is a special place to my family. Uh, this is a place where friendships were forged. Dr. Grace mentioned our friendship for many, many years. This is a place where my call to ministry was refined and grown and shaped. And most importantly for our family, this is where I met my wife. I met my wife in 2007 and we were married in 2008, uh, had our reception here on campus. This is just a very, very special place for us. It's also a special place because I believe it's a critical uh, kingdom partner in ministry with churches like First Baptist Mansfield. Very thankful for the partnership Southwestern has with our church. One of the ways we're seeking to partner with Southwestern in this season is through our pastoral residency program. Shameless plug on the way, by the way. We are endeavoring to provide an opportunity for someone called to senior pastor ministry, to be a senior pastor, an immersive three-year full-time experience. And the goal is that after this three-year experience, you are prepared, uh, further prepared and equipped to go and pastor. This is a full-time role. We do have a second residency position opening up that we actually opening up today for applicants. So if you're interested, Southwestern, in being a part of what God is doing at First Mansfield, we'd invite you to participate in that way. Well, in 2020, I hit a wall as a pastor. Like so many, I felt the weight and burden of 2020 and the societal and cultural upheavals that were underway in a particular way. But it wasn't just the things that were going on around me, there were also pressures that I felt within. I had run to the end of my passion and zeal and was running on fumes. And so I sat down with the leadership community at First Baptist and made it clear that I had to find a new way to do ministry, a new way to operate, or I needed to resign. By God's grace, a loving wife, and an abundance of wise counselors. God uh, did a work in my life and rebooted my ministry and gave me a new sense of what it looked like to do healthy, sustainable, flourishing ministry in a local context. But one of the discoveries that I made in that season was that I did not really understand what it meant to be a human being. Now, as Madison mentioned, I have an MDiv and a PhD from this institution but lost somewhere in the midst of the busyness and frenetic pace I had adopted, I had lost sight of what it actually meant to be a human. I don't think this is unique to me. I think there's a lot of us in ministry that can miss what it means to be a follower of Christ as a human with limits in your brokenness. I think a lot of us, it's very easy to think that my call to ministry or my ministry assignment becomes this kind of leaving behind of my humanity. If you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, Fantastic Four is this hero group, superhero group that as astronauts pass through this energy field and become superhuman with all these superpowers. I think it's very easy for us to think of ministry, like I'm passing through this energy field, leaving my humanity behind to become this superhuman person with, with no limits or brokenness in my life any longer. But if there's a main idea I wanna get across to you today from God's word this morning, it would simply be this. Your humanity is not an elimination, but an extension of your ministry. Your ministry is meant to be an extension 
not an elimination, but an extension of your humanity. If you wanna do good, flourishing ministry, you've got to flourish as a human being. And so what I wanna do today from God's word, very simply, is walk through five dimensions to your humanity found in this text, five dimensions to your humanity that I think you've gotta understand if you're gonna flourish in ministry because your ministry is not an elimination, but an extension of your humanity, I'm gonna challenge you at the end of this message to consider which of these five do you need to grow in this morning? The first one, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes or if you're typing notes, you can write these down. The first thing I think we see from this text is that humans are relational. Human beings are relational. Look in the Bible at verse 26. The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This description of God's creation of humanity does indeed tell us that we are the crown of creation. As image bearers, we are separate and distinct from the created order. But our distinctiveness has not as much to do with what we do as it does with who we are. I think what makes you human and what makes you distinct from the rest of creation is not your activity, but your ontology, your nature and substance as a human being. We're told that we're made in God's likeness. I think that if we were to sum up what it means to be human, it would be the word relationality. You have been made with a capacity for relationships that makes you unique and distinct from the rest of the created order. Your distinctiveness as a human being then, this relationality, I believe is a capacity for reciprocating intimacy, not just with other people, but also with God. Your relationality is a capacity for reciprocating intimacy, to know and to be known, not only with God, but with other people. You know, the pet industry today is a multi-billion dollar industry. People spending billions and billions of dollars on clothes for pets and accessories for pets. And if that's you, this is a judgment-free zone, okay? We do have people in our congregation that spend a little money on their pets. Nothing wrong with that in principle. But I think what we're losing culturally is that people are beginning to see animals almost as if they're humans. You'll hear people say that they're members of their family even. And while I'm fine with you being affectionate towards your animal and while I think it's biblical to treat all of creation with respect and dignity, your dog is not a member of your family. I'm sorry. It's just not. And the reason it's not is because it's not a human being. It does not have this fundamental capacity for reciprocating intimacy with God and with others. I don't care how longingly it stares in your eyes, it doesn't have that kind of capacity. Humans and humans alone are what enjoy this relationality. Sin indeed has distorted this though, hasn't it? Sin has distorted this goodness that God has created in us. You see it just a few chapters later where Cain kills Abel. This distortion of the fall and creating enmity between people echoes out through history. It also leads Adam and Eve a few verses later, a few chapters later, to isolate themselves from God. God comes and they hide from him. This relationality, this reciprocation, reciprocating intimacy is broken and marred. This is even easy for us to adopt uh, this mindset even in ministry contexts. For years, I would have people tell me, you know, you can't really be friends with people in your local church as a pastor. 
Can I just dissuade you of that notion? Not only can you be friends with people in your local congregation, you must find friends in your church. You must find people that you can openly and honestly share your sin and your struggle with. Yes, I think you should be wise about that. As one of my friends says, there's a difference between being embracing vulnerability and being stupid, okay? You're not to be vulnerable with every single person you encounter in your local congregation. Yes, there's a limit to what people will understand about the burden you carry as a ministry leader, but do not miss that your fundamental relationality means you need deep, real connections in your local congregation. One of the reasons I believe this is a necessity for you is Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two very beautifully and wondrously describes your union with Christ as participation. You participate in the resurrection power of Jesus in your life. But it also describes your union with Christ through incorporation. That what Christ Jesus has done is created a new being, a new entity, which is the church. Part of what you enjoy then as a Christian are reconciled relationships. Yes, you experience the grace and mercy of God vertically, but through your church, through deep, real relationships, you experience the grace of God horizontally. If we're gonna do ministry in a sustainable way, if ministry is indeed not an elimination, but an extension of your humanity, lean into your relationality in your local church. Number two, this passage also tells us that humans are entrusted. Humans are entrusted beings. Look at the rest of verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. As I said a moment ago, I do think the image of God means that we are the crown of creation, but we cannot miss that there is a clear distinction between even the crown of creation and humanity and God himself. God is the creator, he is the owner. We are the creations and managers of his created order. This is what's baked into this idea of ruling or overseeing creation. What Moses, I think, wants us to see is that we are called to a meaningful management of all that God has entrusted to us. We're called to a meaningful oversight of that classic threefold idea of your time, your talent, and your treasure. What I think being an entrusted being means on the ground is that you and I are committed to continuous improvement and growth as human beings. We're committed to growing, to stretching ourselves with what God has entrusted to us in every facet of our lives. I have three kids, Seth, Noah, and Paige, my two boys. My oldest is a runner and my middle son is a swimmer. And the conversation I have regularly with my sons is not that they should be the fastest person on their teams. The conversation I have with them is, are you getting faster yourself? Could 2023 Seth run faster than 2022 Seth? Could 2023 Noah in the summer swim faster than 2023 Noah in January? Is there a growth, a development in your life with what God's entrusted to you? I think that's what's implied here. We're to rule, we're to oversee, but we're to grow and expand what God's given us. But similar to the relationality reality, sin distorts this as well in us. Sin distorts this through comparison and jealousy. 
just a warning to those of you that are going to be going out and serving the local church, ministry comparison is real and deadly. And spending lots of time scrolling on social media is not a good way to deal with that issue. Sin distorts our entrusted capacity by calling us not to continuous improvement. What it does is it causes us to look over our shoulder at somebody else, what they're doing, this idealized picture they're putting of themselves on social media. Be careful, Southwesterners, about looking over your shoulder at what somebody else is doing while not being faithful to what God's entrusted to you. Also be careful of the distortion of laziness. Laziness is real in ministry. Over the years, one of the things that's been a trigger point for me as a pastor is a sanctified laziness where people pray or they act like it's no big deal to work hard or they make excuses or they, they just don't give themselves to laboring with what God's entrusted to them. The reality is what we've been called to is a growth that's rooted in the gospel. Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to give you new life. And that new life encourages a careful stewardship of your gifts and abilities. You do not have then an achieved identity. What you have in Jesus is a received identity that frees you to hard work. A few years ago, I was at a camp with my sons and we were gonna go down a zip line. And before we went down the zip line, they put this safety harness on us. And from the bottom of the steps to the top, they checked that safety harness about 10 times, reduplicating to make sure that when we got up there that it was really on and we were good to go. The safety checks that they did were meant to give me confidence to jump off that platform and go down that zip line. Your safety and security in Christ frees you to jump off the platform of comparison and laziness and into your calling. This is what Christ has done for you. He's freed you from having to worry about somebody else's doing because you're being faithful to what he's called you to. He empowers you to work hard to the point of exhaustion and fatigue for the goodness of the gospel. Ministry is not an elimination, but an extension of your humanity as such. Lean into the entrusted gifts that God's given you. Number three, this text also teaches us that humans are embodied. We're not just relational. We're not just entrusted. Thirdly, we are embodied beings. Look at verse 27 and see how he talks about this. So, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, this is a poetic break in the text that Moses gives us. I think in part not just to show us the truthfulness of the created order, but the beauty of it. God in his created order is establishing this beauty and splendor that we enjoy as human beings. But in this poetic kind of break in the text, he mentions the word created three times. There's a repetition three times that emphasizes not just God's power, but again, the distinction between humanity and God. There is one God and you are not him. You and I are created beings. We're also told again that we're made in God's image. This says, again, I do think speaks fundamentally to relationality, but it also speaks to the soul, the spirit that you have that lasts forever. Then what you see in verse 27 is this unity of the physical body, the created body has given you, and your soul. You are a unity of body and soul as one. As such, there's a goodness to the embodiment of humanity that we need to pay attention to. 
There is a real sense in which your physical life will often reveal the condition of your spiritual and emotional life. There's a phrase that I think is important for people in ministry to remember, and that is that the body keeps the score. You can run on Red Bulls and caffeine in your 20s, but as you start knocking on the 40 door, your body keeps the score. It reveals what's really going on. In the reverse, your physical body will impact your soul and emotional state. Your lack of care for your physical body will impact your emotional condition. You and I are called in this unity of body and spirit to care for our physical bodies in a real way. I don't have to tell you how sin is distorting this in our culture though. Our culture is seeking to wedge a gap between the real you and the physical you. It's easy for us as Christians today to figure out how crazy, how wrong this is, but please understand, it's not just crazy societally, it's wrong biblically. Biblical anthropology teaches there's a union between your physical self and your spiritual self. But boy, it's easy, even in church context, to hear people make jokes about being overweight, to make jokes about lack of sleep, to make jokes about eating poorly. And while I do not think all of us have to be crossfitters, I do think there's an important reality of the goodness of God's grace in giving us a body that we're to care for. Please remember when Christ Jesus returns, he is going to establish the new heavens and the new earth on this world, a physical world. There's a fundamental goodness to your physical body we need to take into account. Practically speaking, it's very easily three things. You're sleeping, you're eating, and you're exercising. You're sleeping, trying to get more than seven hours of sleep of night, which I know sometimes is hard in seminary. You're eating, watching what you eat, how many calories you consume in a day, and you're exercising. Please remember, you were not made for a sedentary existence. You were made for activity. My journey out of an unsustainable pace was not just me reading the Bible and praying more. It was a deep sense of learning. I needed to care for my physical body. And as that's happened, everything else has fallen into place. You are an embodied being that needs to care for what God's entrusted to you. And just to connect a dot, I said something a minute ago I wanna go back to. I do think exhaustion should be normal in ministry. I don't mean burnout. I don't mean fatigue that leads you to like not care about anything, but it should be normal for you to work hard to the point that you're exhausted, provided through your embodiment, you have the rhythms to recover. If you're constantly exhausted, but never having the rhythms of sleep, diet, and exercise to recover from those things, don't be surprised if you end where I ended at 38 and burned out. Embodiment and your entrusted being as a human come together in this kind of exhausting, fatiguing work. Ministry is hard work, but it's good work, especially if you're caring for your body. Not only are humans entrusted though and embodied in this passage, number four, we also see that humans are gendered. They're relational, they're entrusted, they're embodied, but we cannot miss that humanity is gendered in verse 27. Look back with me in your Bibles. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Both men and women are co-image bearers. Both 
equally worthy of dignity and respect and value. This is why the growing trends of patriarchy in evangelicalism are concerning. Southern Baptists are not patriarchal people because we believe both men and women have dignity and value. Women are not subjugated to men as lesser beings. They are equal in dignity, worth, and value. But this passage, as it goes on, especially in the the book of Genesis, does reveal that men and women are distinct in their contribution, in the work that they do, not just outwardly, but at the essence of who they are. God does not just make humans, he makes males and females. There is a distinct and uniqueness in your essence as a man and a woman you need to lean into if you're gonna flourish. If I were to put salt and sugar on this pulpit and put them on my finger, they both look like white granular substances. They're the same, right? But at the molecular level, they're different. There's a fundamental difference in their nature as to what they are. In a similar way, there is a fundamental spiritual molecular difference between men and women that we need to understand. Don't have to tell you that sin has distorted this as well. Our culture seeks to make no distinction between men and women. Any distinction in role or function or even in their nature is described as you know, you're putting people down or you're discriminating. The reality is that not only is this this, this uh, confusion happening in our culture, it can even take place in our family of churches. I think it is right and good for us to talk about ecclesiology and the role of women in ministry as we're having that discussion as a denomination. But what must, be, what must be clear is we cannot obscure fundamentally what it means to be a man or a woman in this discussion. More fundamental to what can somebody do in a church or not in a church is what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? What is it? And I think as you read the biblical narrative, I am persuaded that what it means to be a man is this fundamental power God's entrusted to us to lead and protect. Men, we are called to use the God-given strength he's given us to lead and protect those around us, especially in our homes and our churches. This does not mean women never lead and protect. It doesn't mean that men are the only ones that do this, but that there is a fundamental wiring within us to these things. Men, we have to be careful that we do not abuse our power and the strength that God has given us. We're called to be servant leaders that put the good of others ahead of ourselves, that try to pursue in our homes and our churches Christ's vision for the church and the home. Ladies, there's a corresponding way that you, I think, are wired to cultivate and nurture. If men have this fundamental strength that's kind of baked into who they are, there's a fundamental warmth and vibrancy women have that's God-given. Yes, this shows up in the capacity for motherhood, but it extends beyond that. It extends to your very presence in your home and your church. Ladies, let me make it clear. Our homes and our churches are going nowhere without you embracing your distinctive contribution as a woman. And my fear is that the conversation about ecclesiology gets so wound up, gets so heated that we miss the more fundamental discussion about what it actually means to be a man and a woman. Ladies, be careful that in all this discussion, you do not compare yourself away to a man and lose your sense of what it means to be a woman. There's something fundamentally good about the way God has made men and women that we must embrace. Ministry is not an elimination 
but an extension of your humanity. As such, we need to lean into the fundamental gender God has given us. But fifthly and finally, humans are redeemed. We've seen that they're relational. We have this fundamental capacity for reciprocating intimacy. They're entrusted. We're called to growth in what God's given us. We're embodied. We're called to live out our physical body with a care and oversight. We are gendered and we are finally redeemed. Look at verse 28, see how he talks about this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. This, if uh, your fundamental nature is relationality, your fundamental function is representing God. What it means to be an image bearer in terms of what you do is you exist to represent God. Just like an image in ancient culture told you whose realm you were in as it showed up on a coin or a statue, you and I are called, we exist to represent God's genius and power in this world. And so the call to fill the world with image bearers is a call to fill the world with worship and praise of the one true God. That's why we exist. That's what we're called to do. The problem is, as the Genesis narrative unfolds, is we rebel against God. Instead of representing him, we represent ourselves. As such, we have all inherited this desire to be, instead of the supporting characters we were created to be, we all inherit a desire to be the main character. By the way, if you wanna know why the world is so dysfunctional, you got seven billion people thinking they're all the main character. It's a huge problem. The reality is that in Genesis 3, two things happen as God responds to our brokenness and sin. First thing, he makes a promise. He says, I'm gonna send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. There is one coming, God promises in Genesis 3.15, who will destroy evil once and for all. But he doesn't just promise, he also covers in Genesis 3. He covers Adam and Eve as he makes them leave the garden, as he banishes them, he covers them through sacrifice. In this promise and in the picture of covering, Jesus Christ enters the world. He is the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the son of David who crushes the seed crushes the head of the serpent. And he does so through sacrifice, through his life, his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. What Jesus Christ does in the cross is he takes the punishment that you and I should have been given for our rebellion before God. He rises from the dead to say, if you turn from sin and trust him, you can be covered, cleansed and forgiven by his grace. I do not assume that every person in this room is a Christian if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what Jesus Christ has done is died and risen again to give you new life. Turn from your sin and trust him today. If you wanna know more about becoming a Christian, as soon as this is over, I know there are lots of people in this room that would love to talk to you about what it means to become a follower of Christ. But repentance and faith are not just how we come to Christ. Repentance and faith are how we continue to grow in Christ. See, God's greatest gift to you and to me is himself. God's greatest gift to you and to me is not our ministries. It's not even our families. It's him. You and I enjoy through Christ Jesus, the very presence of God. 
And what it means to be a human that's redeemed is that your enjoyment of God fuels your doing for God. Southwesterners, we've been given the greatest privilege in the world, and that's knowing the God of the universe as a loving father. What it means to be redeemed then is one that enjoys God as our primary focus and aim in life. Can I just warn you, it is very easy to use God and not realize it. It is easy through the demands of ministry to just use God for the next sermon, use God for the next meeting, use God for the next counseling session where all your prayer life looks like is asking for things. Be careful in ministry to, of using God instead of enjoying God. Fight hard now, Southwesterners, to establish rhythms of communion, deep, rich communion with God in which you enjoy, you behold him for who he is, you confess your desperate need for him, and you receive assurance. Humanity as redeemed beings means that we enjoy the presence and the goodness of God every day. Let that be what fuels your ministry. Ministry isn't an elimination but an extension of your humanity, especially your redemption, lean into that. I know I speak for the leadership of Southwestern when I say that our prayer and our hope for you as a Southwesterner is that for decades to come, you see a flourishing ministry emerge in your life, wherever God calls you, the local church, your home, an institution like this, that you see flourishing ministry emerge for decades. What I've tried to convince you of today from God's word is the only way I think flourishing ministry happens for decades is for you to be a flourishing human being. So here's the question as I close. Where do you need to grow in your flourishing as a human? Is it relationality? Are there some of you today that need to further connect and plug into your local church? Could it even be that there may be some of us today that really aren't actively in a church, a part of a body, a member where you're committed. It used to drive me crazy, Dr. Dockery, as a student when I would watch fellow students not do the very things they were gonna go to their church and ask their people to do. If you're in seminary, one of the things that you should be doing actively is connecting to a local church. Be an active part of a body of believers as an extension of your fundamental relationality in Christ. Maybe it's not relationality. Maybe, maybe the next step for you as a flourishing human is you're entrusted dimension? Are you working hard with what God's entrusted to you? Could it be that some of us are spending more time comparing and scrolling on social media instead of giving ourselves to the work that God's entrusted to us? Don't let somebody else's pretend life on social media rob you of the joy you have in the gospel work God's given you. Maybe it's not the entrusted component, maybe it's the embodiment are there some of us today that are doing things in our 20s that are gonna catch up with us in, their, in our 40s? I am a case in point of that. Be careful, take care with what God's entrusted to you now. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's your gendered being, the fact that you are a man and a woman. Do you need to lean into that? Do you need to think more carefully about how you're really stewarding the gifts that God has given you of your gender? And finally, maybe it's redemption. Are there some of us today that need to re-engage spiritual practices of reading the Bible and praying, not to get that next sermon, not to check a box for a class, just for the pure enjoyment of God Almighty. My prayer is today that you would see that your ministry 
and your call to ministry, your preparation for ministry is not an elimination of your humanity, but an extension of that. And that as a result, you'll flourish as a human and see a flourishing ministry emerge in your life and your church for decades to come. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I am so very thankful for this moment you've given me through your word to encourage the Southwestern family. And God, I pray that more than anything right now, that your spirit would take this word and would prompt each of our hearts to consider where you're calling us to grow. God, I pray for the students in this room who are preparing for ministry, especially those preparing for ministry in the local church. God, would you establish rhythms and patterns of flourishing in their lives now that are consistent with your created design for them that lead them to flourish for years. God, I pray that in ministry, as we're doing things for you, God, that we would never lose the wondrous joy of being with you. Oh God, let the joy of enjoying your presence be our strength and what fuels our ministries. And finally, Lord, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you. God, I pray for anyone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you. God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of the blind, that you'd show them their desperate need for you and that they would turn from their sin and trust you. God, help us as we sing this song of response, not just to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.